Anyway, turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, chapter 3, verses 8 through 11. We're going to do our uh, second part to putting sin to death. Um, Last week, I mentioned Jonathan Edwards and uh, how his sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, uh, would fall on deaf ears today. And some of you may have not known who he is, but Jonathan Edwards was a very famous preacher in the 1800s. And I'm sure you have heard of his his, uh, sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. But most of you probably do not know the story about his daughter. Jonathan Edwards had a daughter who had an uncontrollable temper, and uh, it is said that she fell in love with a young man, and the man wanted to marry her, and so he went to go uh, ask for her hand in marriage. He went to uh, Jonathan Edwards, and he said, I love your daughter, and she loves me, and I want to marry her, and Jonathan Edwards said, I'm sorry, you cannot have her. And he said, well, why not? I mean, I love her. She loves me. Mr. Edwards said, that makes no difference. She's not worthy of you. And the young man said, well, she's a Christian, isn't she? I mean, what's the problem, basically? Jonathan Edwards responded with this. He said, yes, she's a Christian, but the grace of God can live with some people with whom no one else could ever live with. And uh, evidently, uh, Jonathan Edwards' daughter had a terrible temper, and uh, Jonathan Edwards was wise enough to know that the presence of anger indicated the absence of genuine love. Now, I am not sure that the Apostle Paul, I loved uh, Jonathan Edwards, I'm not sure the Apostle Paul or Jesus would agree with Jonathan Edwards' assessment of his daughter's eternal security because we know that the sin of ongoing anger is a sin worthy of hell, according to Galatians and Corinthians, and even what Jesus says. So I'm not sure uh, that, that Paul or Jesus would agree with him. But ladies, serious anger is, in fact, the night before we got married, my husband almost called off our wedding because I had a terrible temper, and he began to realize that I may not be a believer, which I was not, but he married me anyway, and thankfully the Lord saved me. So, um, But, you know, serious anger is a serious sin. And in our lesson tonight, we are going to discover that that's something, along with some other sins, that should no longer be a habitual part of our life. Habitual anger is a part of the old woman, not the new woman. And so I want us to consider carefully what Paul writes in Colossians 3, 8 through 11. Let's read it together. He says, but now put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Do not lie to each other, seeing you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man that is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision or uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free, but Christ is all and in all. Now, we started last week with putting sin to death, and we looked at five sins that we are to murder. And they, if you remember, they're sexual sins. And tonight we're going to look at social sins. And so we looked at five sins last week that we are to murder, those five sexual sins. And then we looked at two motivations for murdering these sins. Remember, the first one is the wrath of God is coming on the sons of disobedience. And so if we choose to remain in those sexual sins, we 
can for sure experience the wrath of God. Uh, that is a promise, and we looked at several passages. Secondly, we are to murder these sins because that's an indication of who we used to be. That's the old woman. That is not the new woman. That is not how a holy woman of God behaves. She's not involved in uh, sensuality and lust and fornication and those types of things that we looked at last week. So tonight we're going to continue on with looking at these put-offs and no no worries. Next week I hope the lesson will be encouraging because now that we've put off all this garbage, we're going to look at what we're to put on. And so that's going to be hopefully a more encouraging lesson and everyone that is sick hopefully will be back next week. But tonight we're going to consider five more sins that we need to put to death or murder, along with three more motivations for murdering these sins. So when we get done, you'll have ten sins you're to murder, and you'll have five uh, motivations for murdering these sins. So let's consider the first four deadly sins that put to death from verse 8. Paul says, put to death these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Interesting word in verse 8, if you look at it, the first word is but. And when but is in the scripture, it's a contrast. And so what Paul is doing, he's contrasting from the previous verse when he's talking about how you used to live. Those things you used to do. But now, and so this is a contrast. And so he says, but now you yourselves put off these things. Um, the word for put off means to rid yourself. It actually means to throw them off like you would throw off a dirty garment. Um, I remember when my son was living at home and he was in high school that he worked for a roofing company. And Charles would come to uh, come home from work, and if you've ever known anyone that roofs, it is really, really gross. And they have tar all over them, and I would say, Charles, you are not coming in this house until you take off your clothes. I don't want those filthy clothes in this house. Well, that's what Paul is saying. Throw these sins off like you would a dirty garment. And notice, ladies, what he says. He says, every one of these, all of them, throw them all off. Do you know the writer to the Hebrews says the same thing? Therefore, seeing we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We're to lay aside these sins while we run the race. Otherwise, what happens? We get tripped up with all these sins. Our brother James says the same thing in James 1.21, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflowing of wickedness so that you can receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Peter says the same thing. First uh, Peter 2.1, Therefore laying aside all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking. Put off this stuff. And so that you as a newborn babe can desire the pure milk of the word. And so, ladies, it's imperative that we throw it off. Um, We're never told in Scripture to treat sin lightly. We're never told to hold on to just one little little sin I want to hold on to. We're to put them all to death. And so Paul is very clear about this. In fact, the command is in the aorist tense, which means put them off and don't pick them up again. Do this once. And don't ever pick them up again. 
And probably Paul had in mind something they would practice in the New Testament times. What they would do when somebody became a Christian and was baptized, they would lay aside their old clothes before they were baptized. And after they were baptized, they were given a new white robe to symbolize their new life in Christ. And I remember as a Baptist minister's daughter growing up, and since I was saved and baptized three times, even though none of it took, I, I remember those baptism waters quite quite uh, vividly. But I remember that we had to go to the back of the church and I put on a you know, little white robe uh, to be baptized in. And so it was a symbol of what? The new life in Christ. The old is new, or the old is gone, and the new has come. Ladies, we must lay aside all sin and we must put on Christ-like virtues. Now, Paul begins with the first social sin that we are to put off. And by the way, um, in my humble opinion, I think this list may surprise some of you uh, because they have become, I think, respectable sins for many of us, but they're not respectable to God. Um, in fact, Jill and I met for dinner tonight. We're going through Jerry Bridges' book, Respectable Sins, and the chapter we were considering tonight was Pride. And uh, he really hits a lot of places, and I'm like, wow, he just knows how to really get you. But um, he has a list of probably 20 sins that we consider as Christians to be respectable, but they're not respectable to God. So here's the first sin that Paul says we are to put to death. It's anger. Now, what is anger? Anger means to be quick-tempered, to be quick-tempered. This is someone who has a violent passion or a deep, smoldering bitterness. I like how one man describes anger. Growing inner anger like sap in a tree on a hot day, which swells the trunk and the branches until they're in danger of bursting. (laughs) Now, ladies, how many of you will be honest? I'm raising my hand. We've all had that inner feeling of anger, right? Every one of us, right? That, you know, it's that inner, you know, I'm, you know, I need to control myself. And uh, we've all had that inner feeling of anger. And um, as I mentioned before my new life in Christ, um, I had a very uh, active anger and outbursts of wrath, as we'll see in just a minute. And I think I've told you before, my husband said he was going to put on my tombstone. She did it her way uh, before my life in Christ. So that kind of tells you about what I was like before salvation. Um, I don't know what he would say now. He's going to put on my, I know what I want on my tombstone, but I don't know what he's going to want on my tombstone. Ladies, anger is very serious. Remember when we studied the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus said about it? I say to you, whoever's angry with, to his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. Whoever says rake is in danger of the council. Whoever says you fool is in danger of hell fire. And so, ladies, we know anger is a sin. Ongoing anger is a sin that could send somebody to hell. Now, I will say this. There is something known as righteous anger. And we should be righteously angry at sin in our lives, at sin in other people's lives, uh, things that are going on in our world that are evil and wicked. We should have righteous anger. I think of Paninus who took the javelin and threw it between the Midianite woman and the, the Israelite who were committing adultery. 
And uh, God gave him a covenant of peace because he was zealous for the Lord's sake. And I'm not telling you to go take a javelin and start, you know, uh, killing people who are committing adultery. But we should be righteously angry um, at sin, but we should not ever be unrighteously angry. We must not feed that inner irritation. We must flee it. And ladies, if you don't, there will be ramifications, not only for your soul, but to those who are the recipients of anger. Do you know you can do physical damage to your body by being angry? In fact, I read that, do you know it takes um, um, the same amount of energy, if you decide to have a fit of rage or a fit of anger, you exert the same amount of energy as as doing a half days of housework. So, some of you need to control that anger and go clean your house. But uh, that's how much energy you exert when you choose to get angry. Why Solomon said this, do not hasten in your spirit to be angry. For anger rests in the bosom of fools. Now, the second sin word of murder is wrath. Now, what is wrath? Well, wrath is indignation like a roaring furnace. It has the idea of a fierce passion and a like a breathing hard, you know. In fact, the Greeks would liken it to straw, which was set to fire that would flare up briefly and then be gone. Now, maybe you're saying, Susan, what is the difference between anger and wrath? Well, anger often lies below the surface. It's right here. And then it gives rises to eruptions of wrath. Wrath is anger boiling over. Now, ladies, these two sins are extremely dangerous. I have counseled many women who wish they could take back words that they've said to a spouse, to a child, to a friend. They said them in a rage. They can't take them back. I've also counseled many women who have been the recipients of terrible anger from a husband or from a child or from somebody else. And, you know, as hard as you try to forget those things, they're hard to forget. I think about some of the things that I used to say to my husband uh, before I became a Christian, and I can it makes me very sad. And, I mean, even though I've asked for forgiveness from him after I came to Christ, it, I think back to those times and I think, how could I have done that? It just, it grieves me um, that uh, I can even remember one time that he sat in a corner and just wept. And I mean, I think back to that time and I think, what a, what a wretch I was. But, you know, I don't know who said sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. I, they must have never been the recipient of somebody who's angry. Because, ladies, those words do hurt. In fact, my daughter-in-law, Andrea, told me, that do you know the number one cause of um, death among pregnant women? You know the number one cause of death among pregnant women? It's usually due to a husband or a boyfriend that kills her in a fit of rage. Anger. Anger. We're to put it off. Anger and wrath. Now, the third sin that Paul mentions that we're to put off is malice. Now, what is malice? Well, malice is just badness or moral evil. Um, it begins with evil that goes on in your mind. It's someone who is bent on doing harm to another person. Um, it's like the man that Micah mentions in Micah 2.1. He plots evil in his bed at night. 
and then he carries it out the next day. It's kind of like that guy in Las Vegas this last year who, you know, committed the worst mass shooting in U.S. history. Evidently, he'd been plotting that out for not just one night, but for days and days and days, and then he carried it out in what killed like 56 people. This person enjoys when others fall, when they can make them miserable. Um, I think of a good example of this is... um, Haman, remember how malicious he was in the story of Esther? He plotted out a plan to have all the Jews destroyed and tried to carry it out. King Saul's another one who was malicious. Remember, he was always after King David wanting to kill him. He was plotting to kill King David. Um, I remember right after I got married, I worked for um, my father-in-law as a sales secretary, and my husband was uh, a salesman, and so we worked in the same uh, office. And I remember coming home as a young bride of the age of 19, and uh, I would just cry because there was a woman that worked in the office with me, and she was malicious. She was just, I don't know if it's because I was the owner's daughter-in-law, I don't know. But every day she would just rail on me and and mock me. And I'd come home and tears to poor Doug. And I was like, I hate this. I hate my job. And this woman just is out to get me. And uh, it's it's terrible. If you've ever been around someone who's malicious and just wants to do you evil, um, it's very, very hurtful. And ladies, we're not to be a part of that. We're to put that off. The fourth sin word of murder is blasphemy. Blasphemy. This would mean to wound someone else by evil speaking. It's very similar to slander. Um, Ladies, a tongue that is bent on slander is from the pit of hell. That's what James says. Uh, It sets it is set on fire of hell. Um, This type of speech spreads like a fire out of control. And before you know it, life is unbearable. For the victim. In fact, I remember at the writing, the time of I was writing this lesson, that I was a victim of slander. It's not the first time, won't be the last time, I'm sure, but uh, it's hurtful. And I think what we don't realize when we use our tongues to slander somebody is that the person that we're slandering somehow it always finds a way of getting to them. And uh, so I think that we need to keep that in mind before we use our tongues for that. Um, I think we as women have a greater challenge in this area with our speech. Um, I know you've heard me say this before. John Calvin said, talking and this is a disease of women. It gets worse with age. So, uh, you know, we really need to guard our mouths. The fifth sin to put to death is also pertains to our speech. It's filthy, vile language out of our mouth. This would be speech that is obscene, abusive, um, in fact, when it says out of our mouth, it means to hurl it out of our mouth. Um, in the sister epistle in Ephesians, Paul says, fornication, uncleanness, covetousness, let it not be named among you as fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish jesting, which is not fitting for saints. Ladies, that's not fitting for us. Uh, foolish jesting, foul talk. I don't know about you, but it seems to me, um, as the church becomes more um, less committed to the efficiency of sufficiency of scripture and um, going to playing games that I it seems like more and more you hear Christians think it's cute to be crass and foul and uh, tell dirty jokes take, tell sexually oriented jokes and I don't think it's funny I 
I think we're going to be accountable for this. These foul things that come out of our mouth. I can't see the Lord doing that. Can you? Can you see him sitting around with the 12 disciples and starting to talk about, you know, sexually explicit things or filthy communication out of his mouth? I just can't see that. And ladies, I think we need to remember what Jesus says. I say unto you every idle word that men will speak, they'll give account in the day of judgment. By your words, you'll be justified or by your words, you'll be condemned. And so uh, we need to really clean up our speech. Well, Paul has one more on his list of social sins to put off. Number five, as seen in verse nine, he says, don't lie to each other. Do not lie to each other. Stop lying. In fact, it's imperative in the Greek. God forbid. Stop lying. Now, what is lying? Lying means to utter an untruth or to attempt to deceive by falsehood. And ladies, you know that from your homework, lying is from the devil Lying has nothing to do with Christ. He is a God who cannot lie. We also know that we're all liars. We come out of the womb speaking lies. And uh, so it behooves us to train our children. Um, I don't know how many women I know that teach their children to memorize that verse. Abomin- uh, abominable lips or lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. I think that's what it is. And a good verse for your kids to memorize. And um, But we need to teach them. Um, that lying is wrong and they should be disciplined for that. In fact, the last spanking I got from my dad was when I was five and listen, it cured me. I never wanted to lie to my daddy again. And I don't, I don't even know if I got a spanking after that period, but it was about a lie. And I, I came down for breakfast on Sunday morning. I had a big old band aid on my face and my dad, my dad said, Susie, Susie, what happened to you? And I said, well, last night when Carl was babysitting us, he slashed me with a knife. And my daddy said, really? And so he came over and flipped the Band-Aid off. Of course, there was no slash on my face. And so he said, you lied to me. And, and I mean, he said, let's go to the bedroom. I was like, I can still see that, too, going down the hallway to the dreaded room. And, no, oh, Daddy, please don't spank me. Please don't spank me. And uh, he did, man. He spanked me. And I'm thankful he did. But, you know, as we age, don't we come, you know, we become sophisticated in our lying, not quite that blatant as a five-year-old. For example, we pretend to be spiritual at church when we aren't at home. Uh, and ladies, that's a lie. You know, your kids see right through it. Your husband sees right through that. I know people that sell things like a house or a car and they lie about its value or they lie that it's been in a flood or they lie about, you know, whatever. Um, I have actually been in homes where mothers have encouraged their children to lie. In fact, I was in a home where the phone rang. The mom said to the daughter, answer the phone and tell them mommy's not at home. And after that whole thing was over, I said, I can't believe you just, you told your daughter to do that. You just, you're teaching your daughter to lie. Um, and I remember years ago, I was sitting in a lobby. I was, I was getting my car washed. You know, those where you sit and they run your car through the car wash and clean it up. And I was sitting there working on something and the lady next to me was on her cell phone. And I remember she, she says, yes, I'm on my way as I speak. And I wanted to say, you liar. You're not on your way as you speak. And I thought, I thought, why couldn't she just say, you know, I'm getting my car. Why do we think that's okay? I mean, we just lie about everything that's not even necessary. And uh, 
that is lying. You know, some of you might not be as blatant as she was, but, you know, sometimes we'll color stories to make them look good, exaggerations. I know one year Doug and I held each other accountable for exaggerating. Uh, we both had noticed, you know, sometimes you get together with groups of friends and you tell a story and I go, I don't think that's how it happened, or I'd say something. And I said, honey, I think we've both kind of gotten into exaggeration. So for a year we'd say, you're exaggerating, you're exaggerating. And because that's a kind way of saying you're lying, right? Um, some of us will tell others we'll do something for them. We don't do it. That's lying. Um, ladies, there's so many things that we can do that are in the form of lying. Paul says in Ephesians 4.25, put away lying. Let each of you speak truth to his neighbor. Why? Because we're members of each other. Ladies, we speak truth because we belong to the body of Christ and we should be truthful. Well, Paul now shifts to the first motivation after he's mentioned the five sins were to murder for he shifts to the first motivation for putting these sins to death. The first reason that we have here in the context is that we are to put off the old man with his deeds. That is the first reason we are to murder these sins. We have put off the old man with his deeds. It's very similar to what we saw last week in verse seven. In other words, this is how we used to live. This is not who we are anymore. Susan Heck used to have a terrible temper. Susan Heck better not have a terrible temper anymore. That's the old Susan. In fact, it's interesting. Paul says that was the old man. The word old means antique. (laughs) Antique. That's who we used to be. We've been redeemed. We've been set free. In fact, Paul, again, in the sister epistle says, put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, put it off. Ladies, we've put off that worn out old woman. We've put off that filthy, dirty garment. Why do we want to put it back on? Why would you want to put on a filthy garment again? I don't know about you. I I don't like to put on dirty clothes. It doesn't make sense, does it? Well, Paul continues on to give us a second motivation for murdering these ugly sins. He says, you've put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Paul says, you've put on the new man. In fact, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, therefore, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, everything is new. In fact, the word put on here has the idea of the sense of sinking into a garment Um, we're not wearing that filthy garment anymore, but we're wearing the garment, a robe of righteousness. And so that is what we put on. And so he gives the second reason why we should put off these sins. Notice what he says. Our new man is renewed in knowledge after the one who saved us. Our new man is renewed in knowledge after the one who saved us. Paul says, you're the new man now. You're the regenerate man. You've put on that new man. You're made in the image of God, the one who created you. In fact, the words being renewed is in the present tense. It's a past action with a present result. What Paul's saying is you're not there yet, but you know what? You're constantly being renewed. You're constantly being renovated. And how? How are we renewed? How are we renovated? How are we growing into that? Notice what he says. In knowledge. 
The knowledge, not epigenosis, not what the Gnostics taught, the knowledge of what? The word of God, the knowledge of Christ. Now you might say, how are we renewed in knowledge? Notice what Paul says. We are renewed after the image of him that created him. Now, to be honest, some think this is referring to creation that took place in Genesis when it says that man was created in the image of God. I do not believe that's what Paul is saying because the context here, he's talking about the new man, the new creation. When you bowed the knee to the lordship of Jesus Christ, the old is gone, the new has come. If you're in Christ, you're a what? New creation. And we're constantly being renewed and being more conformed to the image of God. How? Through the knowledge of Christ and his word. In fact, Paul puts this in 2 Corinthians 4.16. He puts it well. Don't lose heart even though your outward man is perishing. The inward man is what? Being what? Renewed. Renewed every day. Also, uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18 tells us how that happens. But we all with an unveiled face, beholding as in the mirror of the glory of the Lord, are changed from glory to glory, even how? As by the Spirit of the Lord. And so, ladies, we're constantly changing. We're constantly putting off that old man. And more and more, we have less remnants of the old man. And we look more like what? Like Christ, the one who created us. And I will say this, the best way to be renewed is by the word of God and the application of it. Bible study, memorization, and applying it. Ladies, what a blessed hope and encouragement as you and I walk through this life, the sins of anger, wrath, lying, malice, filthy communication, and the like will be changed as I put them off and walk in obedience to Christ. I put them off. Well, there's one more motivation for murdering these sins in verse 11. Paul says there's neither Greek or Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. Christ is all and in all. I found it strange last year. I was going through my brother's um, funeral service, even though I did not attend that. But uh, most of you know he had a lesbian Unitarian pastor that performed. I say that loosely, pastor that performed his um, memorial service. And she used this verse, and this is, and I quote, because I I copied it off his uh, uh, funeral service. It says, um, here's what she said, and she says, I'm quoting him, for Carl, to Carl, my brother, there was no distinction of Jew or Gentile, male and female, gay and straight, Unitarian and Trinitarian, Barbarian or Scythian, Levite or Samaritan formally incarcerated or free, end of quote. And I thought, I read that, and I thought, isn't that interesting? You know what she left out? But Christ is all and in all. She left out Jesus. I thought, well, that was convenient. But that had nothing to do with the text, but I just thought it was interesting. Now, you might be wondering the same thing I was wondering. When I looked at this verse, I thought, what in the world does this have to do with sin? Why does Paul say Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, bond or free, barbarian, Scythian, Christ is all and in all? Well, the first thing we need to consider is that all of God's children are to put off these sins, right? There is no respect of persons with God, whether you're barbarian, Scythian, male or free, circumcised or uncircumcised. We all should be putting them off. That's a true statement, but I don't believe that's the real meaning of why he's putting this here. Ladies, think very carefully. 
As we consider the contrast in these classes of people, it's clear what Paul's saying. Sins of anger, wrath, malice, filthy communication, and lying are often more directed at people who are not like us. You ever notice that? We are more likely to be angry, hateful, and use evil speech and even lie to people who are of a different race, different religion, or a different social status than we are. In fact, I don't know about you, I'm amazed at some prejudices of so-called Christians. It's really disheartening. You know, we teach our children when they're little to sing the song, Jesus loves the little children of the world, black and yellow, red and white, they are precious in his sight. We teach them that song, but do we live it? Now, this would be a startling statement to the church at Colossae, and I'm sure it might be startling to some of us. Because the early church had barriers between people who were different racially, religiously, culturally, and socially. But Paul is saying, no, there's no distinctions with God. He's not partial. In Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave or free, male or female. We're all one in Christ Jesus. And so it's interesting. We look at these groups. I want to share just a minute with you. The groups that Paul lists are complete opposites. First of all, Paul makes it clear with God there is no national distinctions, Greek or Jew. Greeks and Jew were opposed to each other. They hated each other. Jewish people refused to enter Gentiles' homes. They wouldn't eat a meal that was cooked by a Gentile. They wouldn't even buy meat prepared by Gentile butchers. Paul says there should also be no religious distinctions between the circumcised or the uncircumcised. Again, these two groups of people were opposed to each other. We saw this when we were in chapter 2, that the barrier was so great between the circumcised and the uncircumcised that they had to call a council in Acts chapter 15, the Jerusalem council, because they were saying you got to be circumcised to be saved. And remember, the result of that council was no You do not have to be circumcised to be saved. But there was barriers between the circumcised and the uncircumcised. And then Paul's also clear there's no cultural distinctions between barbarian and Scythian. Interesting, a barbarian was someone who did not speak Greek, and they were actually thought to be uncivilized. They they spoke in uh, stammering speech, and they would actually, that's why they're called barbarians. They go, ba-ba-bar, ba-ba-bar, ba-bar. That's, you know, they couldn't speak. And uh, it was kind of interesting. And the Scythian, they were known, I mean, it was really gross. These guys were known for their brutality, and they were considered no better than a wild beast. In fact, one historian, Josephus, says this, The Scythians delight in murdering people and are little better than wild beasts. They live in wagons offering human sacrifices, scalping and sometimes flaying slain enemies, drinking their blood, and using their skulls for drinking cups. Now, does that sound... That sounds like some news articles I read. But you know what Paul's saying? He was reminding the church there is no distinction. We are not to judge someone on their past life. There's also no economic or social distinctions between slave or free. A slave who was someone who was in permanent relation or servitude to someone else and someone who was free was independent of others. They were at liberty. In fact, it's interesting, a male Jew would bless God every day because God didn't make him a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. 
Ladies, such distinctions are certainly nothing to be praising God for. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, For by one spirit we're all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave, free, we've all been made to drink into one spirit. Now, Paul's saying this because the false teachers would be coming in and teaching something different. This would be ludicrous, ludicrous to the Gnostics because their enlightened teaching, remember, was only for the select few, for those who were in the know, never for a barbarian, never for a Scythian, never for someone who was uncircumcised. But ladies, there is no place for these barriers in the church. Because Paul says Christ is all and in all. He breaks down those barriers. And with him there is no distinctions. Ladies, to show partiality or prejudice against those who are of a different race, social status, or any other difference is not showing we have been renewed in the image of God. You know what it says? It says very loudly, I am holding on to the old woman. I don't want anything to do with those people. And therefore, we will speak evil of them. We will have anger towards them and all those other things that Paul mentions. So the third motivation for murdering these sins is there is no distinction with God. And there shouldn't be with us. There's no distinction with God. Ladies, we are not given liberty to speak evil, to lie, to be angry at others just because they are of a different race or social status than we are. So what are the five sins we're to put to death? Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, and filthy communication. Are any of these a part of your life? May I lovingly remind you of the danger you are in if they are a part of your life. Paul is very clear. Galatians 5:19. The works of the flesh are evident: adultery, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil de- evil desire, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissension, heresies, envy, murder, drunken revelings, and the like of which I've told you before in time past and tell you again, those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. If these are a part of your old life, you need to rethink if you've been renewed in the new man. Secondly, what are the three motivations for murdering these sins? First of all, the old man is gone. Secondly, you are being renewed in the knowledge of Christ. And thirdly, there are no distinctions with God and there should be none with us. Can you honestly say that you do not look down upon those who are different from you? that you do not use your mouth to speak evil of them, that you are not as prone to lie to them or be angry with them. Has your knowledge of God grown so deeply that all sin of partiality has been eradicated? Is the old woman really gone? Well, in closing, for just a minute, take yourself back in time. For some of you, it's going to be way, way back there. But imagine that your your uh, fiancé is asking your father for your hand in marriage. Would the response be as Jonathan Edwards? No, you cannot have her. You see, she has a temper, and worse than that, she is given to outbursts of anger. 
Nope, you cannot have her. She is bent on evil and involved in gossip and blasphemy. And every once in a while, she comes up with the dirtiest jokes that aren't even fit for a sailor to tell. No, you can't have her. She has a terrible prejudice, and she can't get along with anyone that isn't exactly like her in race, social status, or background. Nope, you cannot have her. She cannot be trusted to tell the truth. I trust this is not what would transpire. I trust that each of us would hear from the lips not only of our earthly father, but from our heavenly father. Yes, you can have her. She will do you good and not evil all the days of her life. She is full of compassion and kindness, and there is not a mean or prejudiced bone in that woman's body. She can be fully trusted. She's an honest woman. She's a virtuous woman. Her price is far above rubies. She will make you a good bride. As her actions show, she is a part of the bride of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this evening with hearts that need to be examined as we allow the Holy Spirit to um, prick our hearts and to scan them to see, Father, if we are holding any parts of the old woman. Lord, we want those sins to be eradicated. We want to completely put off the old woman, and yet, Lord, we know that we will not be there until glory. But help us to continue to fight and wrestle and pray and do the right thing, regardless of what our flesh or the enemy is telling us to do. Help us to do the right thing. Help us to practice self-control. Help us to put off these things, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would um, use the writings of the Apostle Paul and even our group time tonight, Lord, to Help us to get serious about sin, Lord, that we would never become complacent about the sin in our members. Father, I do pray for those that aren't with us. I pray that you will meet their needs and encourage them and bring them back to us next week, if that would be in your good pleasure. And I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.